0: Thank you so much for We appreciate your efforts and coming and leading us in worship. Such an important ministry, isn't it? Thank you so much. Well, today we are concluding a series of messages based on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And uh, because God used the Apostle Paul uh, to teach his truths and minister over such a vast area and a vast array of people, his prayers broadens our views on why, how and what we are to pray for. And so it really is a valuable study to study what he asks the people to pray for and and uh, beseech people to join him in prayer. Paul's prayers help expand our horizons beyond just our own immediate needs, wants, and concerns, and takes us to the greater cause of Christ, the church, the local community, and, if we dare, even the world. And if there is something that is needed today in the God's church, it's this idea that we quit uh, just concentrating on our own immediate needs, but that we expand ourselves and we look uh, beyond uh, our own homes and beyond our own uh, workplaces and schools and see what God is doing and get involved with it. Uh, for every believer, the importance of prayer cannot be taught or practiced enough. Okay, every effort must be made to encourage, enhance and enlarge our prayer life, resulting in progress, power and perseverance in our spiritual lives. Now, that's all well and good for a preacher to say. You might even say, got it, pastor. Good. Let's get out of here. All right. But that isn't the point. The point is, let God really take these points and let them sink in. Let them really make a difference in your prayer life. This was the hope and this was the desire as we prayed through uh, this series of messages. Well, where have we been and what have we learned, hopefully? If you look at uh, the first message, it involved 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 to 12. And here we were exhorted to keep progressing in our love for one another, keep growing in the things of the Lord, keep persevering through persecution, but also keep praying. Pray for what? Pray that our lives would be consistent with our calling as God's children, that our lives would be consistent with fulfilling the purposes and the plans of God. You know, we're as human beings, we're so easily distracted, aren't we? We're very easily distracted. And so we fall off the track. We get off course. We bother ourselves with this, that, and the other for a little while until we get bored with it. And then we get distracted by something else. But the point is that believers need to focus on their calling and their fulfilling of God's plans and purposes. Then Pastor Oliver took us to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and here we were taught that God's people should respond with worship and thanksgiving. And I love this part for a sovereign for us God as evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. We should pray to have that thankful, worshipful spirit, uh, uh, our heart for God because of all that he has done. And then. Brother Penn took us into Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And we learned that we should be praying for the church to be more Christ-like when Christ returns. And this is the idea, is that we forget that Jesus Christ, said he's coming back. And he could be any time. It can be that he can come. And when he comes, what will he find us doing? What will he find, what kind of people will we be when Jesus comes back? Give that some thought. That's scary. You know, would Jesus be ashamed of anything we were doing at the time when he comes back? I hope not. Would Christ be ashamed of something uh, that we are um, uh, being or, or, or a part of our character or something that he would be ashamed of? That's a thought. That's a heavy thought. And then Pastor Bobby last week took us to Ephesians chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-one, where believers should pray for strength to be filled with the fullness of Christ. Wow, that sounds like a mouthful—the fullness of Christ. And what he helped us understand was that the fullness of Christ means to be total, to have Christ totally um, uh, dominate every area of our lives. You know. When sometimes I work with young believers, I and especially through the new uh, the prospective new members, guys, I, I share with them: there's four, there's you know, there's uh, several decisions that believers have to make during the course of their life. What are those decisions? Number one: to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. All right, that's the first one: accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, so they can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is probably the decision to be baptized. That's a big decision for many. Some people I have met over the years, they've delayed that decision for years and years and years for any number of reasons. The next one after being baptized is deciding to join a church. Deciding to join a church. Why? Because this is where you're going to put your energies. This is where you're going to put your efforts into uh, the community of Christ. So that becomes important. But there's one more decision. There's one more decision. Do you know what that fourth one is? The fourth one is to dedicate your life to the Lord. See, many of us will do one, two, and three. Okay? And we sit back and we say to ourselves, ah, done, over, I'm safe. Okay? But they never get to that fourth decision in which they say, Lord, here am I, send me. Take my life, such as it is, and use it for your glory. You see, because we always hold back. We always hold back. We always hold back. We don't want to give God complete control of our lives. And then we wonder why. Why is the spiritual life so boring? Why is the spiritual life so routine? What's going on here? You see, but this is what happens here is that in Ephesians chapter 2, we should pray for strength to have the fullness of Christ to be fully dedicated and dominated by the Lord. And then this brings us to today, Romans chapter 15, the final uh, passage uh, for this study on prayer. Romans chapter 15. You have your Bibles turn to Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. And this message is pretty simple. There's only really two points to the thing. And the first one is Paul presents us the characteristics or nature of ministry for the Lord in verses 14 through 29. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I put up the scripture passages for you, and you can follow along on the screen. Paul, in a a sense, gives us a behind-the-scenes look into two of his specific ministries. And why this is important is because when we understand what he sees in ministry, it sets the groundwork for the kinds of prayers that we should have. So the first thing is characteristics or nature of ministry for the Lord. The first ministry that Paul presents to us is his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? Okay, who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are those who were not Jewish. These were the people, uh, peoples who did not worship the God of the Bible. These were the peoples who worshiped idols And lived a pagan lifestyle. All right. So Paul being a Jew himself. Having been saved by Jesus Christ. And given the wonderful message of the gospel. Is assigned the task of going to this group of people. The Gentiles. And as Paul went out to the Gentiles. He noticed several major things. That God was doing in this ministry. What are those things? Well, look at, uh, first of all, verses 14 through 15. 14 through 15. You will see God's grace. God's grace. Paul saw God's grace. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points. So as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God. The the Gentiles, people who are under Paul's ministry, were truly transformed. He says here in the case of the Romans, you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. This is high praise. This is high praise. And we know what the Romans were like. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Oh, my. Oh, my. You see? And he <laughs> says, look at you. Look at where you've come. Look at where you have attained. You're full of goodness. You are filled with all knowledge and you're able to minister to one another, to admonish one another. And Paul says, I'm still going to keep reminding you this transformation is still ongoing. And I will continue to remind you a thing by God's grace, by God's grace. Take, make no mistake, folks, when you're involved in ministry, it is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that gets you through. Every day I wake up in the morning. What do I pray for? I pray for a good breakfast? (laughs) No. (laughs) Do I pray for a sunny day? Singapore, you don't worry about that. Do you pray for this and you pray for that? No. I pray for God's mercy and grace. God's mercy and grace. Because when when that day kicks off, that's when God's grace kicks in. And so this is what happens to us. But also in Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, Paul saw God's power. God saw God's power. Look at verse 16 okay given to me from god to be a minister of christ he says and then jesus to jesus christ to christ jesus to the gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of god so that my offering of the gentiles may become acceptable sanctified by the holy spirit He says in verse 16 and then look at verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what God has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Notice here. Notice here. He saw God's power. God made many things, many good things happen in the lives of the Gentiles in verses 16 through 17, he says. And Paul was so touched by this. He says, I will not dare to even presume upon this or take credit for any of that. Then if you look at verse 18, he uses a unique phrase. He says that he did it by word and by deed. Verse 18. He walked the talk. He walked the talk. His character and conduct said a bunch about the reality of the gospel and Jesus Christ. Then in verse 19, he goes on and he refers to signs and wonders. Signs are are, our acts of God. And they increase the wonder of the people. I call it the wow factor. Call it the wow factor. Because if people saw. Paul going about doing his casting out of demons and, and, and healing people and things like that. People would say, wow, there's something going on here. The Bible tells us that signs and wonders always prepared people for the preaching and teaching of the gospel. They were a prelude to what was really important, which was the message of forgiveness of sin and eternal life and a relationship with God. Miracles were used to authenticate the message of the gospel and the messengers of the gospel. This is Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2. So, God made Paul's ministry very effective to the point that he had, what he says, had fully preached. And he had, meaning that he had spread the gospel in the designated areas he was assigned by God. He could write across his life and he could say, mission accomplished, mission accomplished. Paul was called to minister to the Gentiles. And when he did, he saw God's grace and he saw God's power. But there's one more thing that's probably very important and should not go unnoticed. And this is found in verses 20 through 21. In Paul's ministries to the Gentiles, Paul saw God's plan fulfilled. He saw God's plan to be uh, fulfilled. God's plan was for the gospel, to take the gospel where it had not gone before. Look at verses 20 through 21, please. And it says, in verses 20 through 21, he says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another's foundation, another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see him, and they who have not heard shall understand. Remember, When God made the promise to Abraham, he says, through you, all the nations will be blessed through them would come the promise of a Messiah through them would come salvation. And so God was working out his plan. Time was marching on and Paul was part of that very purpose of that plan of God. Paul was a true pioneer for the gospel in every sense of the word, in every sense of the word as he preached the area that Paul covered. Now, these are people who studied this from the from the maps, and they said that from Jerusalem to the areas where Paul reached were roughly the size of the country of Yugoslavia. It was fourteen hundred miles or. It was over 2,200 kilometers. That is a large space. Consider this. He had no buses. He had no airplanes. He had no helicopters. He walked this thing most of the time. Or he took ships where he could. But he covered that much. And so he saw... With his own eyes, God's plans being fulfilled right before his very eyes. Now, how does this help us? It helps us because it helps us to understand ministry a little better. Being actively engaged in ministry helps us to see God in action. It helps us to see God in action. And as a result, our faith is deepened and our personal, intimate knowledge and experience with God will become more real than ever before. We will see God when we work with God, is another way to put it. And it's unfortunate, isn't it? Isn't it unfortunate that today our churches are filled with qualified people who are going about, Just coming in and going out with very little happening in between. Or even when they go outside, there's a very little that is happening to partner with God. And so we wonder, we don't see, we don't see uh, God's grace. We don't see God's power. We don't see God's plan being unfolded. And so we sit here very cynical, aren't we? We sit here and we ask ourselves, where's God? I don't see God. We don't see God because we're not partnering with him on what he wants to have done, you see. And so it's very important that we become engaged in ministry. And then we will begin to see the things that Paul saw. As Paul did ministry, he saw God's grace, power and plans come alive. Now, that was the first ministry, his main ministry. The ministry to the Gentiles, to the ministry of those people who had no or very little background about the God of the Bible. His second ministry he shares with us is the one that he is taking up immediately as he was writing this letter to the his friends in Rome. The second is Paul's ministry to the Jews in Jerusalem. And this happens and is recorded for us in verses 22 through 28. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles kept Paul fully occupied. Boy, there was so much going on. Look at verse 22. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come and see you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on the way there by you when I have enjoyed... um, when I have enjoyed, first enjoyed your company for a while, he says in verse 24. And so Paul was saying to them, basically, he says, look, I've been very busy. I'm, I apologize. I'm sorry. But I, I but I plan to change all of that. I'll be going to Spain. And on the way to Spain, I'm going to stop by Rome and see you. But he describes what he has to do immediately. Look at verse 25. <clears throat> 25. But now. I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Bas- for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so and were indebted to them, he says. So, uh, first of all, in verses twenty five through twenty nine, Paul outlines this new mission that he has. And it's one that is very purposeful, and that is to deliver contributions From the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. Now, mark this now. Who are the believers in Macedonia and Achaia? They are Gentiles. Where are they sending the money? To Jews in Jerusalem. Okay? That is incredible. That is an incredible act. Because the Jews and the Gentiles were as far apart as you could possibly get. And they were sworn enemies, as it were. And for the Gentiles, because of what God had done in their heart, to send a love gift to the Jews in Jerusalem, the the Christian Jews in Jerusalem, was monumental. It was monumental. And so when you look at this, you were just totally taught, maybe caught off guard because of the magnitude of this gift in verses 25 through 26. And he says, he, in verses 27 through 29, Paul shares with us his perspective on this. We must not miss this. Look at what he says in verse 27. Yes, they were pleased to do so and were indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in the material things. He says, and then in verse 28, eight, therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this on the fruits of theirs, I will go by the way of you to Spain. The perspective, the Gentiles were indebted to the Jews. Why? The Jews gave the Gentiles spiritual wealth and blessings, and now the Gentiles were giving back to the Jewish Christians material wealth and blessings to meet their dire need. Okay. The Jews give the Gentiles God's word and God's son. In return, the Gentiles were saying, you have a need and I have the means to meet it and I want you to have it. And then if you look at verse 28, Paul uses a unique word. He says this gift was a fruit. It's a spiritual fruit of what God has done in the hearts of these Gentiles. This is a gift of love and gratitude to God and to the Jewish brethren. Do you see the magnanimity of this? Do you see the generosity? Do you see the love just overflowing in this? But if you didn't know that the Gentiles and the Jews were sworn enemies or that they wanted nothing to do with each other before Christ, now with Christ in their lives, they couldn't help but help each other. Paul was convinced that once he had completed this mission, he would come to Rome in the fullness of blessing in Christ. And that's what he meant in verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. This ministry by the Gentiles believers to the Jewish believers was huge. I believe that young people today like to use the word It is epic. You don't use that. It's almost ranks up there with awesome. All right. That's how it ranks in the scale of things. The Gentile believers were actually loving and caring for the Jewish believers. This was a momentous act of kindness between sworn enemies. What does that have to do with us again? this. Whenever we are engaged in ministry for God, there is a huge potential to be part of something life-changing in the lives of people. When you're engaged in ministry and God goes to work, there is that chance that there is restoration, that there is reconciliation between parties. There could be even a complete transformation of a life. When God is involved. Now, I know many of you have seen the film before or maybe weren't able to attend yesterday. But Pastor Bobby, bless his heart, he arranged for a screening of the movie Iron Man. Now, it's not the Iron Man that you're used to seeing in the secular theaters. This was the story of a man who was a serial convict. He was in and out of jail from a very young age. And then he was finally arrested for murder. He was convicted. He was arrested and convicted of murder. And so while in prison, while in prison, he still continued his his evil ways. And then what happened was through miraculous events, he came to know Jesus Christ as his savior. And suddenly that wonderful transformation began to happen. There's one scene that was very powerful for me. And that was the one when he is finally released from prison. And he goes outside and there's two cars waiting for him. There's one car with his friends. And so his friends were beckoning to him. In fact, they had brought some female companions with him to help, you know, uh, soothe his transition. And then on the other side with this old yellow Volkswagen. And in front of that was a pastor. And he came out of the prison. He had to make a choice. Was he going to choose his friends? Was he going to choose his pa- the pastor and the way of Jesus? He chose the pastor and the way of Jesus. And he went on to become a missionary. He went on to become the pastor, a pastor of a church. He is an evangelist for the Lord. I mean, how do you take a guy who's a serial convict, who's used to that kind of life, and suddenly is transformed like 180 degrees, just a complete turnaround? That's the potential. That's the potential for us. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles and Jews afforded him the privilege and blessing of seeing God at work and the extent of God's transforming love up close and personal. You see, many of us have lost that. I, 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 I'm sad to say that many of us have lost that. We said that ministry is a hassle. Ministry is gets in the way of all the other important things in my schedule. But we forget. We forget that what waits at the end of ministry is this epic movement of God. Where there is true life transformation And so this is what Paul was trying to share with us. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? What does this have to do with prayer? I suppose Paul could have ended the chapter in the book of Romans with that and just said, ha-ha, good job, good job. You know, I'm where God wants me to be. I'm doing what God wants to be. Oh, I'm so blessed. But he doesn't. He concludes by giving us the characteristics or nature of prayer for ministers in verses 30 to 33. In Paul's words, there is a stunning description of prayers for those who minister. And I don't want you to just skip over this too quickly, because if you look at verse 30, he says this. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive, to strive. And the word strive there, it's a very graphic word. It's used of an athlete who gives his best effort. It is used by a wholehearted effort by a wrestler in a wrestling match. He goes all out to win the match. He says, strive with me. Come alongside with me. Struggle with me, he says. Prayer for believers, for those who minister, is a struggle. We come alongside them. We come alongside them. And then also, don't let it escape you that it's also uniting together in prayer. If you look at verse 30, he says, Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Prayer has a way of gathering and uniting people together. I want Paul's saying, I want you both to pray with me and for me, he says. Now, you sit out there. I read this sitting down, and I'm glad I was sitting down. Because I was saying, Paul, Paul, you just told us all the great things God was doing through you, through the Gentiles, and through the Jews, and now you're telling us we need to pray for you? You know, in my book, you are a superman, Paul. You don't need prayers, you don't need anything. But Paul comes back and says, no, no, no. I need you to strive with me. I need you to unite with me. And then he says, I need you to trust God in prayer with me. There's 31 through 32. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judah. He says, I need protection. There were Jews who had rejected the gospel and threatened to attack and take the life of anyone who proclaimed the gospel. He says, I need protection, man. I need protection. And then he says, I also need prayers for a positive outcome. Look at verse 31 again. He says, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. It's like Paul says, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm crossing my legs and I'm hoping that the Jews, uh, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem will receive the gift from the Gentile believers with love and gratitude. I don't know how they're going to react to this. They may turn around and say, take it back. We don't want it. As much as we need it, we don't want it. We don't want anything from these Gentiles. Paul says, no, I need your prayers that they will receive it in the right attitude, and in the right mind and heart. Wow. Paul was not taking anything for granted here, he says. And then at the end, he was also talking about the final outcome of his mission. And he says in in verse 30, So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God, Find refreshing rest in your company and now the God of peace be with you. Notice those words, joy, rest and peace. Paul was hoping and praying that there would be positive outcomes from everything he did. And he needed our prayers in order to accomplish that. If I might just for a moment share with you a more personal observation. The more we serve, the more we realize how much we need prayer. Now, that may, you know, may shock you because I know for a fact that in the history of GBC, you've had a whole uh, parade. You have had a, a, a large cohort of very capable people here. The more we pray, the more we begin to realize that in ministry, there is so much that only God can do, that only God can do. He's the one who can move hearts. He's the one who can protect us from people. In reality, we are not as slick, as skilled, or as smooth as we think. Nor are we as much in control as we may think. For what Paul saw happening in his ministries to the Gentiles and to the Jews, all that is good is the result of God and the prayers of God's people. Okay? So make no bones about it. Paul treasured the prayers of God's people. For his ministries. We must not forget that. So. Of course. Let's pray. As we think over what God has been saying to us. Through through Paul. In these verses. You and I should reflect on. And perhaps reorder some of our priorities and practices. If we want to see God. Up close and personal. We need to be engaged in some kind of ministry. With people. And that in fact is the challenge that I give you. That I give you stop being a spectator in the stands and be a player on the field. Okay, that is when you are going to see God in action. Number two, if we want to see God up close and personal, we need to be engaged in serious prayer for those in ministry. Ask ourselves, are we praying often enough and hard enough for our missionaries, our elders and pastors, our care group leaders, our missionary, our ministry leaders? Are we doing that? Uh, Oh, glad you brought that up, Pastor. I just had prayer this morning, but I forgot to pray for you and for others who are serving today. Okay, this is a bad message, partly because you didn't pray. Okay, the other half is on me. All right. But this is the point. There are so few places in this world that God's people don't need deliverance and protection. There is a direct connection between a ministry's success and the prayers of God's people for that ministry. And I'm not talking about numbers only. I'm talking about the persevering of those in very difficult places. They persevere because people are holding them up in prayer. God's people need to appreciate what God does through various ministry. And God's people need to pray for those who minister. And we'll do that in a moment. So in finishing this, ministry provides us the opportunity to see and be part of God's grace, power, and plans. Ministers in the ministry need for us to pray with them and for them. So I leave you with this. Prayer is not an option. It is a. Or it is not a luxury. It is a necessity. All right. It is not a luxury my friend. It is an absolute necessity. So let's pray. Let's pray hard. And let's pray often. Somebody out there is depending on us. If not ourselves. Now. As we have been doing in this whole series of prayers, we've allowed the last five minutes or so for everyone in the congregation who feels comfortable to pray with someone. And I'm so thankful for that. Over the last week, I was able to sit down with somebody and I was able to ask him, how may I pray for him? And we had a wonderful time of prayer. So, pray with the person next to you. Pray by yourself if you're more comfortable with that. But take the next few minutes to pray and then I'll close in prayer. Please do that now. Dear Father in Heaven, there's never enough time to pray about all of the needs that exist. And that is why you have commanded us to pray without ceasing. And as you have heard our prayers today, both for ourselves, for others, O oh Lord. May you hearken unto our prayers. May, Father, you draw close to us. May we find in you the peace, the joy, and the solace that only you can give. And, Father, may your power, may your grace, may your plans go forth and bear forth fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen.